Chapter Three of From Sunrise Land Letters from Japan by Amy Carmichael. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Three Mission Tour Number One The least flower with a brimming cup may stand and share its dewdrops with another near. Elizabeth Barrett Browning. June fifth. How glad of that one is may he who is as the dew unto israel keep the cup ever brimming to overflow our start was thoroughly eastern for the kuruma men were late and when we reached the bridge whence the boats depart for their voyage down the lake we found that ours had whistled itself hoarse and was all but gone however our good men shouted it stopped we were sculled across in a sampan climbed in through a hole in its side and off we went then we felt our way stooping low the while through a dark little passage to a cabin in the stern wherein were ladies and gentlemen smoking peacefully dropping our shoes outside hats we had none being in native dress we curled ourselves up in corners and tried to survive but it would not do for the boat began to roll the smoke thickened we sickened so we crawled out up a ladder on to the deck where we slipped about till we touched at the village port where we were to change to kurumas we means sarah thompson her helpers t san and s san and myself san means mr mrs or miss in this case it means mr and miss it always comes after the name it adorns and now came excitements manifold sampans wobbled us ashore a crowd collected and commented kurumas had to be bargained for and a slight lunch dispatched finally we were packed up and trotted off how funny it felt especially when after leaving the village streets we were jogged up and down over what they called roads but which we should call ruts in a manner upsetting in more ways than one sometimes after a plunge of unusual severity my kuruma man would turn with a cheerful oh and a glance to make sure i was safely inside and once i replied with such an irresistible peal of laughter that the other three floundering along behind caught the infection and followed suit at last we descended and walked that being the easiest mode of locomotion our men were the most obliging of ponies gleefully stopping to gather flowers for us we got such beautiful things yellow lilies which turned terracotta in old age azaleas pink and crimson sweet-scented creamy blossom like bramble tall royal fern and parsley fern two feet high and all manner of dainty greenhouse treasures whose names i know not we passed through a long avenue of pines the huge trunks wreathed with ivy and virginia creeper underfoot however it was less delectable the long twisted roots gave us many an unexpected jump and between them lay pools pretty to look at cool to splash into most of the way it drizzled feebly we lived under our umbrellas and enjoyed life from a new point of view at last we arrived at our halting place for the next few days and were trotted in triumph to the small hotel which was to be our headquarters at the door we were greeted with bows and smiles and escorted through rooms scented with flowers to a pretty little one overlooking a garden in each was an idol with offerings of rice before it and in one was the family shrine where the ancestors tablets dwelt and incense sticks stuck in ashes slowly smouldered being wet for the rain was of that insinuating kind which makes no fuss but quietly soaks you 
we changed our raiment and sat down on the floor to await the advent of the inevitable tea it came served on a round wood tray in pale blue china by a woman of honourable age who bowed to us most devoutly then the preliminaries over sidled gently up to me gazed at my hair by this time dry and fuzzy patted it and remarked no oil at all on it a japanese feminine head is a sight to behold black and shiny and anointed to a degree unknown in other lands thus you see her remark was not inappropriate sarah possesses hair which is fair so they say she must either be very old or much addicted to washing it it presenting to them a somewhat bleached appearance that evening we had a large meeting of men chiefly about halfway through there was a sudden rush one of the few women there had fainted and in a few minutes twice as many people as the village could have been supposed to possess were crowding rushing and shouting about her all down the street too they swarmed the movable walls had been pushed back and we could see them in hundreds with their paper lanterns flitting to and fro in the thick of the throng held by as many as could get at her lay the poor girl all round her the people pressed with tiny bowls of water scores and scores were handed up from the outer rim of the crowd until they reached the central point of interest where they were seized by those nearest and then followed an exciting trial of remedy first the men filled their mouths with water and shot it over her till she was well drenched then they got fire and pressed it to the poor little bare feet separating the toes and squeezing it between them this proving fruitless they shouted her name thinking thereby we were told they could call her spirit back for half an hour or more they yelled and sobbed and wailed gathering close round her and screaming into her ears it was enough to terrify her out of her senses or them out of her had they returned but the much besought spirit kept its mysterious distance and she lay white and still in the midst of it all finally they sent for a doctor who came and looked and listened then mixed some white stuff with his finger turned the cup round with an air of wisdom handed it to the howler-in-chief and sat down on the floor with calmness unruffled to smoke till she revived we could do nothing and of course dared not interfere so we left at this point i quite expected they would turn upon us and pack us out of the village especially as last time missionaries were here a kuruma man fell down dead in the street but instead they thanked us for coming and next day when we went to inquire for the poor little wife her husband apologized for the trouble she had been in the meeting their courtesy is a marked characteristic if one gets in your way for a moment he exclaims that he is an honourable bother rather meaning that he has had the honour of being a bother to you and promptly removes himself your kuruma man bows hat in hand when you pay him and you hardly feel comfortable when you reflect how little you have given him servants kneel when they address you you kneel and bow elaborately if you want to be very polite at first one feels it impossible to compass such prostration but speedily especially if robed in japanese garments and living on the floor it becomes easier to perform than abstain their courtesy manifests itself in trifles which are not trifling you have been kneeling in their quite agonizing position until your back aches but fearing to break some nicety of an etiquette hardly understood as yet you don't like to move and curl up rationally somebody notices the fact gently urges a little relaxation deign to sit as an honourable foreigner otherwise we understand you want to be one of us but don't tire yourself 
we accept the will for the deed and you are grateful we are going soon to a village near where they have only heard once in every english village how often have they heard oh the need it wrings one's heart all around us are lovely hamlets nestling among the woods all untouched there is no one to touch them surely the blessing in the homeland would be greater if instead of keeping its best it freely gave never should one be urged to come unless he felt the burden of souls in the master's call but oh in the face of such scenes as these one wonders why so few do is it as the chinese lady said as grieved at heart she turned away from christian england's coldness these people don't love their god enough can it be really that a touch of the prosaic may interest you perhaps for you know life isn't made up of going to meetings one evening after the somewhat novel experience of the japanese bath the first question asked you when you enter a japanese hotel in the evening is will you condescend into the honourable hot water i tucked myself between the layers of blue quilts laid on the floor and being alone and tired composed myself for slumber honourable pardon dane so spake a voice outside my paper wall it slipped aside revealing an aged form convulsed in bows come in i said and she came then she sat down and waited for me to begin not knowing how else to i sang jesus loves me this i know which i had laboriously learned in faith that with the proverbial quickness of a japanese she might recognize her own language she smiled and went away i fell asleep but not for long enter visitor number two another ancient dame with a grandchild tied on to her back they seemed to think i was shamming ignorance for they chattered away to me eagerly asking honourably understand then not to be defeated they tried the effect of speaking both together very slowly and very loud as to a deaf old person foiled again and they departed to return at intervals all through that long queer evening with a sort of keeper company intention i expect the other returned about midnight they had been to a village some miles away where nearly two hundred gathered to hear while i was writing this another bit of the comic came in the shape of another visit three women each baby laden appeared bowed and sat down of course i had to stop writing and bow too then one dropped her infant on my lap and retired to observe i expected yells but no the fat little morsel chuckled and wriggled and crowed till it fairly doubled up with mirth and lay hopelessly tangled in its scrap of a frock a jelly of giggles too funny for anything the other babies were introduced and now they have all retired the mothers highly gratified then came some friends who were musically inclined a concertina was produced and i was requested to perform never having tried one and this being the most atrocious of its kind you can imagine the effect for i went at it with a gusto which charmed my audience opening and shutting it wildly and the result was not music it is sunday night one may get accustomed to many things out here to existing minus chairs and tables to going about hatless out of doors and shoeless indoors to the sweet publicity which begins with the performance of our morning ablutions upon the veranda and concludes with the nightly crawl under our mosquito nets and hardly then but to an encompassing heathendom one can never get accustomed all day long the whir of the silk weavers the thud of the rice pounders the tramp of the matting makers has been in our ear and now they are working at a sluice unfragrant to a degree just opposite 
no sunday here no rest day and how long is it since he told us to go into all the world with his message of rest this morning we had a meeting with some who are inquiring they asked in what manner we prayed to our gods did we clap our hands to call their attention as they must do with theirs another said it was hard to understand for how could a god love once or twice is seldom to hear this teaching could you not come oftener said one but we cannot oh to think that we must say no if only you could see the need as we have seen it to-day i think we should not long have to say that sorrowful no monday to-day began in true japanese fashion we were wakened by the murmur of voices outside our paper windows for the wooden shutters had been rolled back some hours before so we looked out and beheld a quiet group of children standing there patiently waiting until we should reveal ourselves much entertained we emerged from our nets threw wraps round our shoulders and for it was too good an opportunity to lose began to sing jesus loves us this we know for our holy book says he does friends will you trust his love for it is strong ah jesus loves me he is the lord of love it is written in our holy book speedily the group grew into a crowd and we sang on until the tiniest child must at least have understood that we meant them to know our god was love then with bows and farewellings we closed the window that is slid it into being a wall and for the time retired into private life as i write another constellation of eager twinkling orbs is visible for the window is open again and there is only a little space between one room and the street they are following the movements of my pencil as it forms these words and from one little baby-faced child comes a sound recognizable surely it is our morning's chorus and it never sounded so sweet to me before but now through the children's chatter another sound drops heavily it is the temple gong low mournful monotonous it seems laden with hopelessness it is meant as praise to the gods you think they hear i ask one who comes and stands beside me alas i fear not often is the sad answer we have beautiful glow-worms here and fireflies like fairy stars the glow-worms light up the ferny banks with their quiet lustre the fireflies flit with their pulsing light away and away to the regions beyond and as one looks one longs to be just either one or other his glow-worm hidden where only he sees in some hedge of his planting lighting it up for him or if he will his firefly carrying the lamp he has lighted over the hedge of the home life far far away through the dark i only posted yesterday but it is a relief to write again one's heart gets over full sometimes and mine has been so since we said good-bye to the kindly village folk whom we may never see again just before we left old mrs springtide came close to me stroked my dress and softly said how sorry her heart was that we must go once again i repeated the now well-known little sentence the one true god honourably deigns to love you for the first time she seemed to take it in clasping her withered old hands together she said the words slowly over the tears running down her cheeks and then we had to go she had a strange dream while we were there and described it to tisan she seemed to see a beautiful city shining and golden but between it and her ran a dark deep river and she could not cross over she was too weak and old the golden city was like heaven tisan told her and the dark river like death 
Jesus our Saviour could carry her over if she would let go her false gods and trust him only. Pray for the dear old lady, that for her life's autumn may prove its spring. Some of the inquirers came to help us to pack. One, a very well-educated man, who had been reading the New Testament, wanted to know all about Palestine, its history, geography, national customs, and so on. Especially he asked about Jerusalem, Calvary, and the tomb where Jesus lay. Last night we had a women's meeting, but a number of men crowded in too, and we could not turn them out. Sitting on the matted floor at the foot of a large idol, before which rice and flowers lay and incense burned, we told them of God and his love for them. Over and over again we repeat the same message. Its strangeness to them no words can describe. As we passed through the streets, the people came out to look and bow. Several stopped us with the polite formula, Honorable thanks are, honorable hasten return. And one of them added, Why do you stay so long away? Yes, why? I passed the question on to a wider circle than they thought of. Why do you stay so long away? This evening being fine, we walked over to the pretty village which is now our resting place. Halfway we were met by some children, bright-eyed, gentle little things who had come to escort us home. When we arrived, a crowd had gathered as usual, men and lads ad-lib, a sprinkling of women and children by the dozen. As I write, they swarm below the veranda, gazing, gazing. Everywhere one turns, one sees eyes big and little, wide open and slitted, all black and always gazing. The meeting is over, and now before the kaleidoscope gets another shake, I must tell you about it. Picture then a whole house thrown into one large low-ceilinged room, with walls which are not having been slid into nowhere. The boundary line, street on one side, garden on the other. Here and there are lamps more picturesque than luminous, a crimson Chinese lantern hangs among the trees, and the semi-darkness is further relieved by the dull pipe-glow, for the audience is placidly smoking, and you sneeze and choke and wonder how you are to get through. The meeting begins, we are in the middle of a hymn, when a splash in the near distance tells us that somebody is in the middle of something else, but I refrain. We sing, or try to, then one of our helpers speaks, again we sing, and then my turn comes. Oh, the strangeness of it! By this time the smokers have ceased to smoke, and the noisy tapping of the tiny metal pipe bowls upon the charcoal braziers has ceased too. I think the Lord Jesus is leading me on with great gentleness in this new work, for he knows how hard I find it to speak in a noise, and so far I have never had to. Tison interprets for me, and then for Sarah who closes the meeting with singing and prayer. Most of the time there had been close attention, unbroken even when a fond parent undressed and rubbed down her juvenile son, and now that it was over there was perfect stillness, as if waiting for what next. But the moment we moved there was a scramble, everybody talking and gesticulating, eager as it seemed to exchange opinions upon the whole performance, in the midst of which we departed, and mounting our ladder-like stairs prepared to be seen no more. Vain hope. We were just ready to get into bed, only as yet there were no beds to get into, the quilts not being produced, when visitors arrived, and to my much astonishment bowed politely and came in. Then our possessions were inspected, one lifted the bread we had brought, turned it over and shook his head. It was beyond him. Another examined my little dressing-case, and another examined us 
and all with such perfect politeness that it was impossible to mind very much at last sarah got our feminine helper to tell our masculine helper that we should be obliged if our gentlemen friends would retire which they finally did while the ladies still lingered to see the last of the show then they brought our quilts spread them upon the floor helped us to hang our mosquito nets and at last we were left in solitude to sleep on the bed of the lowly and awake i at least feeling much as if one were somebody else and living in a story-book unable to get out a pause came here and now the week is half over and you must hear of its doings i am writing on the tiny veranda overhanging the street just underneath is a carpenter's shed in the middle is a shrine a roughly made thing on the top of a great stone behind it a graveyard hides among the trees all over the country they are dotted like the mounds in poor dreary china one is constantly reminded the night cometh oh to work while daylight lasts i don't think i have told you what a japanese hotel is like it is so unlike anything called by that name at home that it is not easy to describe it here we are well off for we have an upstairs in our last abode there was none and they gravely assured us that stairs could not be good things for they never had them there so we lived on a level with everything and everybody and got sore throats in consequence when we came here we looked out eagerly for the not good things and to our joy discovered them leading out of the kitchen each step utilized as a repository got at from underneath but real stairs nevertheless which was the important point with alacrity we ascended and once aloft fresh surprises awaited us for two straight-backed cane chairs and a table twelve inches high had been bestowed upon this fortunate upper chamber and we rested and felt westerns again to return to our subject hotels like all purely native houses are built upon stilts see sketch for the how thereof they are spaces enclosed or not as the case may be in wooden shutters by night and paper walls by day at least two sides and often three seem to be of the latter uncertain description you can't lean upon them they would go through that is when they are there at all you can't hang things on them they would come down in short you can't do anything with them but slide them about and be thankful furniture there is none unless you call a vase of flowers a smoking-box and a brazier furniture on the floor are perfectly clean mats tatami by name each mat six by three feet fitted neatly and carefully dusted upon this you must never walk with your shoes on upon it you live sit by day and sleep by night the rooms are divided one from the other by sliding walls of tinted paper sometimes ornamented with old chinese characters so well written that nobody can read them or adorned with landscape perspective quite in abeyance there is no such unnecessary luxury as a door that will shut much less lock but japanese etiquette is so highly developed that this little omission is not so appalling as it sounds in each room is a small dais or place of honour the wall on this side is solid and a scroll of some rare old design such as this bit of branch beauty which is before me as i write hangs upon it just over the vase of flowers or curio or perhaps idol which stands in the centre of the dais a hibachi or brazier with a kettle set upon it is a probable item and a pipe-box and perhaps tray and diminutive tea-set share the floor with it in the front or living-room is a nondescript assemblage of odds and ends of everything 
there are no ovens ranges or fireplaces in our sense of the word they seem to cook things anyhow over small fires which smoke into anywhere and yet the result is always satisfactory from a japanese point of view down one side runs a sort of open walkway upon which the inhabitants clatter in clogs it leads to the rear where a gardenized courtyard closes the scene everything which can be artistic is so food is served in the daintiest lacquer or china upon black or red lacquer trays one to each person each such tray is a thing of beauty here the quotation abruptly stops anything further removed from a joy forever than are its contents to the average english palate it would be difficult to imagine to change the subject here is a little flower arrangement in which mr keats might revel uninterrupted i am daily becoming more enamoured of the japanese flower taste it is so simple and so satisfying and now a gentle voice announces our noontide meal served by a bright-faced girlie with sweet soft eyes and elaborate hair puffs so for my menu fish unblushingly raw sliced and adorned with brown seaweed something green in a blue bowl a sauce wherein float fragments of a cup of black beans in a liquid like senna tea rice plentiful and good a pair of chopsticks we have brought a supply of tin things however and yesterday sarah invested in a chicken that is thin and bony hen which we cooked ourselves in a small pot over a brazier fishing out morsels as they grew tender so we don't starve this isn't a fruit country flowers they consider far more important but one new to me and very nice is the dried persimmon something between a fig and a date there are huge oranges too and later on biwas a fruit like which they say we have nothing at home so i need not attempt to describe it in the woods are berries tempting till you taste them and everywhere are flowers we have been to an etta village the ettas are a pariah people and when we asked why they told us this long long ago a god and goddess landed upon these favoured shores from them are descended the present race now the ettas were here before they came therefore they are not descendants of the gods wherefore the japanese despise them we discovered the existence of a colony of these unfortunate beings and said we should like to go to them with our message they were our sisters and brothers too to this proposal little encouragement was offered it would spoil our work in the village for if it was known we had been there no one would come to our meetings they were a stupid people not worth going to there was no room to be had they were busy with silkworms and so on we listened to all these weighty objections and finally went escorted by half the village and we had a good time sitting under the khaki trees upon our umbrellas the ground being damp and our dresses thin we sang and talked through our helpers to the people who gathered round how pretty it was the countryside already yellow with harvest great daisen in the distance then the lower wooded hills and then the valley with its streamlet winding through like a thread of silver among the green and gold clustering all about us was the little brown-roofed hamlet and its people in their dark blue raiment stood framed in pink azalea men and women straight from paddy field and silkworm tending children with bright eyes and shy yet fearless ways babies tied upon mothers backs quaint creatures shaven pated and faces most expressive of a note of interrogation old crones bent nearly double in a perpetual bow old men with wrinkled foreheads and half-weary 
half-dull eyes. There they were, and I looked and longed over them. Earnestly we spoke through our interpreters about the God who loved them. Then we knelt and prayed that something might remain, some good seed take root. And then we came away. What can once telling do? Can it even ruffle the dust on the surface of their beliefs? And yet Paul rejoiced in the bare fact that Christ was preached. If he could, well may we. There seems to be a sort of silkworm epidemic in the air. Everybody is distracted. The worms control conversation. Today they lent me a book on their culture, excuse the mixture of pronouns, from which I copy the following gems. Three old women, two girls and two men are bending over and fervently gazing. Ah, says one, in a tone of chastened joy, our honorable worms and we ourselves are going to England in a letter. Home again and home in the rain. How it can pour here. For twenty miles we sat in pools in our kurumas, while our patient coolies plodded through mud ankle-deep. We have had a happy time, though a sad one. For me, this first little experience of itinerating work and ways has, as it were, opened a door into a new world, a world of want. To think that these people are utterly unreached, to think they must remain so, not because God plans it so, but because his people will not obey. One thinks of a crowded meeting at home, a missionary one, perhaps, and wishes that through the might of the Spirit a sudden power to feel might be given, to feel as God feels. It would be as though a bomb had burst in the midst, and speedy would be the scattering. Not that one would pit the importance of foreign work against home, but surely the proportion of workers is so cruelly unfair that words cannot describe it. In the four quarters were the porters toward the east, west, north, and south, four thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine to a third of one is the fact as it stands to-day four thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine porters to the west quarter and a third of a porter to each of the other three a princely donation truly the shepherd left the ninety and nine and sought for the one we stay with the one the ninety and nine all wandering are left to take care of themselves mr and mrs parrot two of our party have been spending the evening with us a baby organ and a hymn-book might seem poor entertainment to offer one's guests at home. Not so here. We had such a nice time singing hymn after hymn with a zest which would have charmed a salvationist. Really, hymns seem real now. They come with a new freshness and we enjoy them thoroughly. It is just the same with Bible verses. You know how the one about the two or three being gathered together is quoted in prayer meetings two or three hundred strong. Here, where oftener than not there really are only two or three, the force of the fact attached seems emphasized. In the most practical possible way, you know that there he is in the midst. People sometimes kindly pity missionaries. They needn't. Our master gives us so many compensations that I think he must let some handfuls fall on purpose for us. It would be just like him. But the fiery pain is the thought of what it is costing you. One day when this was just burning, he lit up a word for me. Unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ to suffer for his sake. Unto me who am less than the least is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Given to suffer, given to serve. Is there not a connection between the two? Perhaps we could not be given the one without the other. Never the exquisite pain, then never the exquisite bliss for the soul that is dead to that can never be tuned to this. 
surely any loss were well worth while that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings that from the darker gift of pain may come forth a brighter gift of service a fuller passing on of those unsearchable riches than could have been possible had he not called us to follow him through the very shadow of death where he keeps his treasures of darkness for which cause we faint not for our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal and part of the glory will be the service gift all perfect for he hath met my longing with words of golden tone that i shall serve forever himself himself alone they shall go no more out and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads End of chapter 3 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine